morning again. Glad you are here. Glad you're with us physically. Glad you are here with us online. Thankful to be together. So um, we're starting a new series today, Christmas Psalms. And um, I, I want to spend some time today in a psalm that we typically don't like, a, a genre, a type of psalm we probably don't like to spend as much time talking about. But um, I think it's important as we start this series, to spend some time here. Um, so, there's music. John, take off your tie and hand it to me. <laughs> one, one of our elders has a tie. If you're at, at home... <laughs> if you're joining us online... One of our elders <laughs> has a tie on that makes music and is playing Christmas carols, and we had to ask him to leave. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is my favorite Sunday ever now. I'm so glad you got to be here for this. Oh, so, um, sermon, yeah. What were we talking about? Lament, yeah. <clears throat> so, we're going to do a song of rejoicing and laughter now instead. But maybe you've seen some of these memes on, on Facebook. If 2020 was a slide, there you go. If 2020 was a slide. If 2020 was a sandwich. If 2020 was a bag of chips, orange juice, and toothpaste. Nice. If 2020 was a hula hoop, if 2020 was a shirt, remember the Cosby show, if 2020 was a swing, and then my favorite, if 2020 was a math problem, I'll read it for you. If you're going down a river at two miles an hour and your canoe loses a wheel, how much pancake mix would you need to reshingle your roof? <sighs> I have a... a a new thing, um, Life Touch just sent out um, school pictures for 2020. And then the good news is we have found the man responsible for 2020. The mirror, the black cat, the ladder, the, the umbrella in the room, all is there. And then just in case you're wondering, um, if you don't already suffer from an anxiety disorder, you will be assigned one rather quickly. Uh, 2020 has been a hard year, to say the least. Um, I, I don't know how many of you are goal setters, but I remember sitting down in December leading into 2020 and all these goals that I had that I wanted to accomplish in this year. And a quarter of the way into the year, um, over half of my goals were completely obsolete. Like, couldn't be done. Um, businesses had spent years planning around the year 2020, because 2020 talks about um, this idea of great vision. And so back in the early 2000s, people started projecting out for their companies, for their businesses, for their churches with these 2020 visions and all that 2020 could be. And I think if anything Maybe one of the things 2020 has revealed to us is a lack of vision. Um, 
We'll get there in a minute, Zach. You can go back for a few minutes. Um, I was thinking about how, how best to describe and put into words what 2020 was like. It's almost as if the authors or the writers of Seinfeld, The Office, teamed up with Stephen King and Wes Craven to write the most iconic movie of all time, and then they ask Murphy to be the director. And the problem is the story wasn't aired on TV. It was aired in our homes, our communities, our schools, our businesses, our churches. And it was a story that we have lived out. And I think about all the things that didn't go according to plan. End of school goodbyes and graduations were replaced with parades. Sports seasons were canceled and shortened, and John's tie went off again. It's still going off. <laughs> Throw it in the baptistry. We'll, we'll baptize it. <laughs> um, sports seasons. You know, you expect this from... <laughs> From the eight-year-old, or you're the thirteen-year-old in youth group, where you're like, "All right, let's just keep teaching, and we'll just stand right here." <laughs> this is how you handle it in youth ministry. You just keep teaching through it. Are you embarrassed yet, John? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> uh, um, parents. <laughs> the transition is such a, it's just a smooth segue back into the sermon. <laughs> no, it's just me. <laughs> um, homeschool parents became, sorry, parents became homeschool parents. Um, birthday parties moved to Zoom, family gatherings to FaceTime. Funerals were placed on hold. Goodbyes through paying glasses. Um, 2020 has been a difficult year. And I think as we look back on 2020, what's going to be the thing that stands out the most, what makes 2020 so hard, is not what did happen, but all that did not happen. I was thinking through this past week of all the things that did not happen for my family personally. And some of these may be similar to your family. Mother's Day and Father's Day were not celebrated with our parents. Family birthday parties were put on hold and did not happen. Birthday celebration with friends, pre-K graduation, fifth grade graduation, Soccer season, baseball season, and all-stars. End of school goodbyes. Sixth grade orientation. Meet the teacher. Um, the start of kinder. This is the first time we haven't had one of our kindergartners, this is our fourth, start with a picture at their desk in their classroom because we couldn't physically walk them, walk her to class. No Thanksgiving with family seeing my parents, kids playing with their cousins, seeing our friends, adult friends, being quarantined, 
And then yesterday, my wife and I ran the St. Jude Half Marathon from Tyler, Texas. And there were zero people at the starting line. And there were zero people at the finish line. And there was no one cheering, and there was no adrenaline, and there was no atmosphere. In fact, the only people I saw on my run were the three or four runners, walkers I saw in the park or in the neighborhoods as I waved passing by. 2020 has been a difficult year. It has been a different year. And for some of you, maybe some of those things ring true. It was the goodbye that was never said, the funeral that was not able to happen, or maybe attend with no attendance, dinners with friends, going to the movies, family vacation, loss of a job, loss of a close loved one. It has been an incredibly difficult year. But I want you to understand, what I'm not saying is nothing good has happened. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God has not blessed us in all of this. I'm not saying you need to be sad until all is right. What I am saying is we have all lost something. And things are not the way that we expected them to be. And it has taken a toll on us spiritually, emotionally, physically, and relationally. Everyone, everyone has experienced emotional ups and downs this year. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. This has been a difficult year. And this year, this morning, I don't have anything really profound to tell you. But I do want to spend some time just simply in a psalm of lament. Because over half of the psalms that we have are psalms of lament. And they're part of our world and part of our life that we like to hit fast forward and just skip through. We don't want to spend time here. But yet, for the psalmist, over half of the language that they use in relating to God are these psalms of lament. Psalms of sadness, psalms of grief, songs of regret, songs of a desire for revenge, songs, psalms that all is not well, all is not right, all is not as it should be. And I think if anything this year could help us relate to Jewish exiles maybe more than any other time in our life. Because there may never be a time in our life where we're displaced, deported, moved out of our homeland, living as a minority. It may never happen in our lifetime. But in a way, we have been displaced from our normal world. This is not the world that we are used to. This is not the way that we typically function and live our lives. Things are not normal. And so what I want to do real quickly before we jump into this psalm of lament is I want to give you a little backstory. Because I think the backstory to this psalm is so, so vital to understanding and hearing the lament as the psalmist 
utters these words. So, in the year right around 1000 BC, Israel and King David march into the city of Jerusalem and they conquer it. And then it becomes the capital of the nation of Israel. And it becomes the capital and it becomes basically the epicenter of the Jewish world. King David's son, King Solomon, builds a temple there. And it becomes the place where God dwells with his people. And so in their mind, their relationship with God is based on a physical location. The place that we can go, the city where God dwells, the temple, the building, the space where God dwells. We know where God is and we can encounter him by going to this place. And so for 400 years, over 400 years, Jerusalem is the capital of this city. It is the place they go to relate to God. I think in our mind, it's why we have this idea that we come to church and we gather in a physical space to relate because we have that idea, this temple mindset, that this is the place where we come to meet God. And what we learn in the New Testament is that God is not here dwelling in this space, that God dwells within his people. And where his people are gathered, there he is. And that is the beauty of the church. And it is the beauty of being able to physically gather, but also understand this, whether you're physically here on our campus or you're in your living room or in your car watching and listening, we are gathering together as God's people. And this idea that we are here, we are together in spirit, Loving one another, walking with one another is so vital to our journey as followers of Jesus. And so for 400 years, there is this temple. And as I said, it is the epicenter of the Jewish world. And then a king from this nation called Babylon walks onto the stage. And his name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And Babylon becomes this new global superpower. And in 605 B.C., they begin to reign over Jerusalem. And they take control. And this deportation begins as they begin to send the best and the brightest of all Israel to live as exiles in this land of Babylon. And Jerusalem is basically left bare until 586 B.C. when Babylon wipes out the city of Jerusalem, destroying the temple. And you have this group of people. Think about this. For 400 years, this has been their world. This is not what your grandparents taught you. This is going back generations. 
I mean, because most of you, even if you've done your family tree and you've traced your, your heritage back, my guess is you probably haven't gone much past 1800. Could you imagine tracing your family lineage back to the 1600s? And understanding that, that what we're doing and who we are has always been a part of our world and our family. Generation after generation, and now it's gone. And the best and the brightest, and Jerusalem is destroyed. They're sent out of the city. They're living as captive slaves once again. And they're waiting. They're waiting for God to show up again. Because remember, their idea of where God dwells was based on a physical location, a physical space, and now that space is no more. And so the question becomes, well, how do we dwell with God? Where is God? God, what do we do in these moments as we wait for you to show up? Things are not as they should be. And the question Israel asks is, how long, O Lord? Have you asked that question lately? How long, O Lord, are we going to be here? How, how much longer are we going to be stuck in this space? When will things be like they're supposed to be again? I think I had three different conversations this morning with three different people that said, I'm just ready for things to be back to normal. And we find ourselves waiting, wondering. And so it's with that backstory that the psalmist writes these words. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors ask us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So there's your uplifting word for the day. Done. Do you hear the anguish? In the psalmist's voice. This is not how it is supposed to be. And we find ourselves after generations of dwelling with God in this space. 
to having no place to call home. And the best we can do is remember how things were. But yet our captors, our, our, our oppressors are tormenting us. They're taunting us. They're saying, sing those songs that you used to sing in Zion. When, when everything was well, when everything was right, sing those songs and rejoice and be glad. How? How can we sing songs of great joy? How, how can we sing songs talking about God dwelling with His people when the place that God dwells has been destroyed? How? How can we do this? See, and the psalm has two parts. There's the first part, the, the anguish, the lament. And he, he says, I, I have to keep Jerusalem at the center of my mind. And if you'll remember, just after these people are deported, after they're sent out, Jeremiah writes this letter. Because they're asking this question, how long is it going to be? How long is it going to be? And he says it's going to be 70 years that you're going to wait. 70 years where you're going to be displaced. Go ahead and make your home here. Build houses and settle down and marry and have children. Because this is going to be your new world. Get comfortable with it. And so you have these people asking a really profound question question. I think a question that relates so well to us today. How? How can we sing these songs of Zion in this land we find ourselves in today? It's been a hard year. And our tendency, I think, as Americans maybe just more our human tendency, is to just move on. You know, fake it till you make it. Get on with your life. There's better things to do. Don't cry, don't weep, don't mourn. But the problem when we do that is we start to suppress our emotions. Because God created us to be in a relationship with Him. And a relationship requires a full spectrum of emotions. So you can't experience love without heartache. You can't have joy without sadness. And the problem is we want to suppress and move those, push those to the side so that we don't have to deal with them, so that we can just simply move on rather than simply being in the moment where we say we're hurting. And it's been a difficult year. And so throughout this series, I don't want to spend the whole series in Psalms of Lament. And I don't want to leave you walking out today thinking, Oh, this is just the worst thing ever. But I do want us to simply acknowledge that it has been difficult. 
and that the answer is not just simply fake it till you make it. Move on. Real men don't cry because you were not wired to do that. See, I hope you hear the weight of the voice of the psalmist. Because it's not just in their pleas and in their questions, how can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? But it's also their cries, their pleas for revenge. I mean, did you hear the very last word of the psalm and in a way just kind of, whoa. Listen to these words again. Happy is the one who seizes your infants, talking about Babylon, and dashes them against the rocks. Do you hear the revenge that, that desperate plea, what you did to us needs to be done to you. <clears throat> we, we can't sing these psalms, songs right now because we're prisoners in this foreign land. And, and as they remember, I want to I take you to 2 Kings. This is after um, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Starting in verse 3. By the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued the king, overtook him, in the plains of Jericho, all his soldiers were separated from him and scattered. And he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where a sentence was pronounced on him. They killed his son, the sons of Zedekiah, before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. They, they say... We remember what you did to us. And our longing, our desire is to see what was done to us be done to you. And my guess is you've been in a place, maybe not where you're saying, I hope your newborn baby is dashed against the rocks. But my guess is you've been in a place before where you were longing for them to get what they had coming. You, you wanted what was done to you to be done to them. Because I'm guessing on that level we can all relate a little bit. The longing for things to be made and what strikes me from the, the psalm, okay, what, what strikes me so much from this psalm is really they have two sets of captors. One is quite obvious. One is the people that are tormenting them and torturing them and holding them in that space. But the second oppressor, the second 
one holding them captive? Is there need for revenge? Their need to get even. Their unwillingness to forgive. To let go. I think one of the things that makes this year so difficult when we talk about this pandemic is we don't have someone physically to blame in the way that we would like. There's not really someone to get even with. Because what has been so oppressive in this year is something that cannot be seen. It's something that we don't know how it happens. That we don't fully understand. We want revenge because that longing for revenge is truly a longing for things to be made right. For things to be as they should be once again. We want justice. We want restoration. And I think it answers the question of Advent. The waiting on God's arrival with the hope of Christmas and God's coming. So I want to share just a couple of things I've learned along the way. Not necessarily from this year, but in all of my years in ministry dealing with different tragedies. And the first is this, you're never ready. I think this year has proved that rather well. There is nothing you could have done this year to prepare, or last year to prepare you for this year. There is nothing you could have done to be ready for this year. There is nothing you can do to be ready for that phone call. There is nothing you can do to be ready for that diagnosis. For the news that you've been dreading. There's no way to get you ready for the, the meeting with the boss when they're telling you our company is closing. There's nothing that could prepare you for that moment. Because those moments simply take our breath away. Two is this, you will never forget You will never forget the moment when that phone call came and how the phone felt in your hand and the pit, the feeling in the pit of your stomach. You will never forget. I remember when I was in Cleveland doing youth ministry, one of my very early years, 24, 25, Cammie and I, I think, were married. I don't think we had any kids at this, this point. And I had fallen asleep on the living room floor, and she wakes me up and tells me that our secretary's son, or I guess she wasn't our secretary at the time, just one of our, our youth group parents' sons and her granddaughter were in a car wreck, hit by a drunk driver, and both were killed. And the wife was on her way to the hospital in critical condition and might not make it. And I remember making that 45-mile drive, or 45-minute drive, 10, 11 o'clock at night through Fort Worth, thinking, what in the world? What do I say? What do I do? How do I minister to this family with all of the wisdom 
of a 25-year-old. I think what makes this year difficult is all of us collectively will have moments that we will never forget, but all of them are different moments because this has all affected us in different ways. We will all have parts of this year that we look back on with hurt and pain and sadness and sorrow. And the third thing I think I'm learning is that whatever you're feeling is okay. If you're angry, if you're sad, if you're mad, if you're excited, if you're joyful, no matter what you're feeling, it is okay. Because you don't get to suppress those emotions. You don't get to choose which ones you're going to experience and which ones you're not. You get to do all of them. The other thing I would imagine is whatever it is that you use to deal with the stressors in your life, those temptations have been magnified now more than ever this year. If it is pornography, if it is food, if it is shopping, whatever ways that we self-medicate, drugs, alcohol, the tendency and the pull towards those this year has been greater. And maybe you've resisted, maybe you've pushed back, maybe you've done well staying strong, but my guess is the pull of those is still greater than it has ever been before. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The emotions are important as we experience them. And one of the places I think we see that so well is in the story of Lazarus, where Jesus is given this message from Mary and Martha that their brother is sick, that he's not doing well, that he's going to die if Jesus doesn't come. And Jesus shows up on the scene late to the party. Lazarus has died. He's been in the the tomb for four days. They've been waiting for Jesus, and now he gets here. They're upset that Jesus didn't come sooner, but he's there to mourn. And when Jesus sees them, What is it that Jesus does? It's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. You probably memorized this for Scripture memorization when you were six to get your gold star, but it was this. It's really long. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he understands and he knows how the story ends. I think he goes there full well knowing because he's told his disciples he's not dead, he's just asleep. He goes there knowing what he's going to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet still in this moment, Jesus weeps and he mourns because people he knows, loves, and cares about are hurting. So a few observations from the story. Great faith does not rule out sorrow. We we tend to have this mindset that if we have great faith, that if we believe in God, that all will be well in our life. And as I was thinking about this, do you remember that 400-year period we talked about? 
where for 400 years Jerusalem is the capital city and all is well. King David and King Solomon up until Babylon crushes and destroys the city of Jerusalem. Other than that 400 period, there's not really another time in all of the Bible where the people of God are not the minority. Where they are not the ones on the outside looking in. They are always, throughout Scripture, the oppressed, the marginalized, the persecuted. And with King David entering into Jerusalem and Israel rising to prominence is really the only time they experience that standing. For the rest of Scripture, they're in this place of waiting, wondering, God, where are you? Great faith does not rule out sorrow. Second, Jesus feels the full weight of sorrow and does not avoid it. Like I said, the Savior of the world, He is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but yet in the moment He stops and weeps with Mary and Martha. And then three, and and this is so, so, so important. He spends absolutely zero time speculating as to why. We want so badly to give a why. When we're standing with a loved one at a funeral, we want to be able to have a why. And I think so many times we say things trying to help that are so unhelpful. Oh, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. God has a purpose and plan for everything. And all of that may be true. But I think one of the things I notice in this story is Jesus does none of that. He just simply sits with the people who are hurting and weeps with them. What a great lesson for you and I. So Israel is waiting for over 500 years. They're waiting for Jerusalem to be restored. They're waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. They're waiting for God to come. And then when God does show up, it's not the way they thought it should, or they thought He should. It's not how He thought they would. God comes in the small town of Bethlehem. Not in a palace, but in a manger. A stable. Under the cover of darkness, with no celebration and no fanfare, He comes to those who are hurting and oppressed and marginalized and waiting for God to return. How long? 
God. How long, O Lord? And so we wait. We wait with the hope that God has come into this world as a baby. We wait with hope that God has said He's coming back. And that our future has hope. But in the midst of the waiting, there is hurting and there is pain. And so I want to, just, I want to, I want to spend just a moment kind of being vulnerable. And I want to talk for just a little bit about how this has affected me this year. And it's not to make you say, oh, I'm sorry, or anything like that. It's just simply to acknowledge this is what this year has done to me. And the reason I want to do that is because I've talked to so many people who think they're weird because they've experienced many of the same things that I've been feeling as well. So I've found this year I've been more stressed than normal. I've been more stressed as I try to deal with all of the changes in this year. I've been more anxious. And things that typically don't bother me have bothered me this year. And I think because of both of those, I've been more tired than I typically am. Maybe it's just I'm getting older. But I do believe this has had a big impact. And maybe you can relate. Maybe this year you've been more stressed than normal, more anxious than normal, more tired than normal. But the way that I think it's affected me the most, and it's all because of the stressed, anxious, and tired, is the way that I relate to the people closest to me. That I've had the tendency to lose my temper a little bit more easily than I have in the past. And, and there's a reason why. I want to I show you this. There's a reason why. I, I think we have this capacity within us to be able to handle difficult times. Th this space where, where difficult things happen and they have an effect on us. But what I think this year has done is it's diminished that capacity. Because 2020 has been a hard year. It's raised everyone level of what it is they can cope with. And I think what we're starting to find now, especially in homes and in marriages, that things that might not have been a really big deal before have become a much bigger deal now. And I think the reason is that diminished capacity. And, and so we had this year, 2020, where we lost things and there was uncertainty and job loss and, and all the things that have happened in this year. And then something little comes up. Something that you think is probably not that big of a, a deal. And it pushes us 
right to the brink. Where at any moment, anything can send us over the edge. So this past week, Gracie was helping me in the kitchen. And we had made a big gallon of tea for our family. And I handed her the gallon of tea. I was telling her what to do next. And it's sitting there on the edge of the sink. And she thought I was holding it. And I thought she was holding it. And we both let go at the same time. And the tea spills and it goes all over the countertops, all over the walls, on the floor. And I found this moment where I just said, Gracie, what are you doing? I got so angry over something so insignificant. And I think because all of us right now are living our life right here. Just right at the brim. And the people that are affected when we live this way the most are the people that are closest to us. It's the people that we come home and we kind of let down our guard. Now, I was an amazing dad. And I said, Gracie, I want you to know I'm so sorry I did not handle that well. And I apologized. But the point is, something that would not have affected me a year ago had a much bigger effect today. Why why do I share that? Because we need right now, more than ever, to extend grace and mercy to one another more than ever before. And we need to give people the benefit of the doubt right now. Because everyone, like I said, all of us have been affected by this year. All of us are longing for things to be right. But listen, And here's where I want to leave you this morning. I want to leave you in the waiting. I want to leave you in that place of, God, where are you? What are you doing? But I want to do so with hope. Because it's not that our tears and our grief and our sorrow and our pain or just how we're supposed to live, because we're supposed to live in this world differently because of a hope that we have in Jesus. Because a hope that things right now as they are is not the way things are supposed to be. That God has come into this world and God is coming back into this world. In fact, God comes into this world every single day through you and I. And so we wait, but we wait with this hope, with this expectation. This expectation that this, there will not always be sorrow and pain and hurt, 
that there is a better world that Christ has come to bring into existence. And while we wait, we wait with hope. Hope that Christ will come again. Father, today, we echo these psalms, these words of the psalmist, these psalms of lament, because it has been a difficult year. It has been a hard year. It has been a year that has taken our, its toll on us relationally and physically and mentally and emotionally. It's been a year where we've been more stressed and more anxious and more tired. But Father, it's a time where we have the opportunity to lean into You more than ever before. Knowing that You are near to the brokenhearted. And so Father, today, for those who have lost loved ones in this year, we pray for Your comfort. For those who are struggling with COVID right now at home, and some in the hospital, some in our church family who are there, we pray for Your peace. Father, we pray for those and we're thankful for those who have been through this terrible disease. Father, for those who have seen the really ugly side of it and those who have not been affected, Father, we're grateful. And Father, as a people, we wait. We wait for a day where there are no more masks a day where we don't eat styrofoam bread for communion, a day where we can shake hands and hug and laugh. But Father, we also wait for a greater day. A day where we stand before Your throne and we see Jesus face to face. Father, we know You've been good this year. We know You have blessed us in the hard times. And Father, at times it's been difficult to see. But Father, You are good. And we are grateful. And Father, today, we sit waiting. Wanting. Needing You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.